It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast, city to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Monday morning. Welcome in to the Ryan Hickey Show. Where else but the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We hope you had a very enjoyable, very fun weekend. Hopefully your weekend was better than mine. Uh, Sports-wise, it was pretty bad. It was really, really bad, actually, considering the fact that one of my favorite sports, hopefully one of your favorite sports in baseball, is on the brink of being shut out and locked out. I went to the uh, I went to MSG last night and watched the Rangers for the first time this season. Watched them get absolutely smoked. Penn State basketball got their butts beat yesterday. Uh, the Knicks got blown out twice over the weekend. It's been a terrible, terrible sports weekend. So hopefully, at least, if you hear that, wherever you are, whatever teams you root for, hopefully your weekend was more enjoyable than mine. But coming off a busy weekend, we got a lot to dive into. We'll get into MLB's... <sighs> Deadline. Today is going to be the day whether we will get baseball in, in totality and its full form or whether we will start to see this thing get truly, truly ugly and really, again, start to alienate more fans than uh, help bring them in. Big day for baseball. We'll get into that. James Harden has made his debut for the Sixers, played Friday night, played Sunday night, played well both times. I'll still tell you this. He should be regretting. Uh, he should be, excuse me, regretting. Asking for a trade from the Nets to the Sixers. I'll explain why that is. Aaron Rodgers, I think, is a goner for two things he said last week. I'll tell you what those two things are. And I have an answer for the Steelers' starting quarterback position in 2022. I'll tell you who it is because I think it's a very unpopular selection if you are a fan of the Steelers. But I will explain. Well, maybe a setback in 2022 isn't the worst thing. So as you can tell, we got a loaded show. Plus, oh, by the way, how can I forget? Kyla Murray's agent, 20 minutes ago, basically put out a statement Adam Schefter saying, pay me. I want a contract extension this offseason. Should the Cardinals do it? We will discuss that later on. So we got a loaded, loaded show here on the last day of February. So let's get into it. We are coming to you live from where else but the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios. Whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners, make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. Doomsday is upon us in Major League Baseball. Today's the day. February 28th is the self-imposed deadline the MLB owners put in place to get a new deal done for the collective bargaining agreement. If there is no deal by the end of today, baseball will start to cancel regular season games, and we will see this fight, which has already been ugly, which has already been contentious, get a lot worse. This is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And for me, obviously here, not only does a deal have to get done, uh, there is no excuses. A deal has to get done today. You absolutely cannot have Major League Baseball regular season games canceled. But also, if a deal is not done, if we are sitting here tomorrow on March 1st, no deal, game starting and canceled, 
It's squarely on the shoulders of the owners. They are the ones to blame here if a deal is not done and they now all of a sudden start to penalize me and you, the fans, by taking away baseball. Because the owners, the Major League Baseball owners, they've been one of the biggest reasons for, frankly, the downfall of the sport. They are one of the most, if not the most culpable these last 5, 10, 15 years of the decline of baseball. And to me, again, it just goes back to a, a, if a deal is not made, if there is a failure to come to an agreement today, the deal and that failure is on the hands of the owners, not the players. And here's why. I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but basically the few areas where the two sides are by far the most far apart on are luxury tax thresholds, minimum salary, pre-arbitration bonus pool. Again, there's a lot of details here that, frankly, I even as a big baseball fan myself, put me to sleep. So I'm not going to bore you with details. I'm not going to bore you about how far apart there are and the differences. But I will say, those three areas that they are by far the furthest in, luxury tax thresholds, minimum salary, pre-arbitration bonus pool, all three have two things in common. That, again, I think shows you one of the biggest reasons that, or one of the biggest areas and downfalls that baseball is facing right now and the reason why the owners are the ones to blame. Number one, it's significant because these are obviously three areas where the owners are desperately trying to put way more money in their pockets, desperate to do whatever it takes to earn an extra buck or two and take it away from the players. But even more significantly than that, because that's kind of the obvious, more significantly, those these three areas contribute to one of the worst parts of baseball, and that is a lack of competitiveness. These three areas the two sides are by far the most contentious about have impacts on the competitive nature of the game when it comes to all 30 teams competing for a World Series or not. Especially the first one, luxury tax thresholds. Because I don't know about yourself, but at least for me as a big baseball fan, one of their main issues, and we know they have a ton. You could complain about, you know, the ball not being put in play. You could complain about the pace of play. There's a lot of different areas we could point to and say, ah, baseball, boring. Ah, baseball, you know, there's not a lot there. Baseball, there's not many, you know, many good teams. Baseball, to me, one of their biggest issues is a competitive issue. Or really, lack thereof. They have a competition problem because right now there aren't a lot of teams that are motivated to win. When you look at the NFL, the NFL, whether it's pressure from fans, whether it's pressure from media, whether it's just monetary, mon you know, monetary gain by winning, there is a lot of incentive to win every single year, right? 16 now and now 17 games in the regular season. We all love football. It's by far the number one sport, so it's the most popular, gets the most attention, and you by far get criticized way more when your team stinks it's not good compared to if, they're, if they are good. So whether it's head coaches, whether it's GMs, and whether it's owners, there is an incentive there to win for the most part. Man, there is obviously certain teams that can't get out of their own way, but for the most part, everyone is trying to win. There's a lot of pressure to win. So there's not a lot of teams that are motivated to tank. There's not a lot of teams that are incentivized to lose more games than they win every single year. When we look at baseball, baseball is kind of the opposite. 
there are not many teams that are truly in it to win it. There aren't many teams that are selling out and doing everything they possibly can to make sure they are in best position to win a World Series. There are a lot of teams in baseball that are just content with fielding a team, with putting nine guys out there and saying, this is the product, take it or leave it. And that is not what you want because, again, you want good teams competing. You want whatever team you root for to go into whatever season with the goal being to win a World Series. And unfortunately, for a lot of teams in Major League Baseball, you can't make that, you know, you can't make that case. And one of the reasons why, going back to what we talked about when, it, when the, you know, there's a few areas that are, uh, the two sides are extremely divided on, one of the reasons why the luxury tax threshold is arguably the most contentious battle and the one really that's going to hold up whether a deal is done or not is because the lower the luxury tax threshold, the less competitive, the less incentive there is for teams to spend and try to win. There's no salary cap in baseball, right? That's the only sport out of hockey, basketball, and football, the four main sports, where there's no true hard salary cap. This is the number uh, that's set. You can't go above this number. Baseball, though, how they try to limit spending is by putting basically a luxury tax. So if you go over a certain amount of money, let's just make it easy, $200 million on a salary or, or, for, or on the team for that year, you have to pay a fee, basically. You have to pay a tax for spending that much money. So the players want the number to be higher, $250 million, because that way then all of a sudden gives less uh, of an excuse for owners not to spend money. Whereas if it's lower, like the owners want closer to $200 million, then they could use that as a crutch. Oh, well, the luxury taxes, you know, we're going to get a lot of extra penalties for going above the luxury tax. So we're just going to stay above it. So we can't make this move to trade for this guy. or We can't give this great player a bigger extension because the luxury tax. Just like NFL teams in some cases say, oh, the salary cap, we can't do it. Or NBA teams saying, oh, salary cap, we can't do it. So the lower the luxury tax threshold is, the less incentive there is for teams to go all in. I mean, basically, well, there's no salary cap. That serves as a de-incentivizer. And that is the reason why this one area, basically, if they can't be agreed upon, is going to be the main reason why a deal is not done later today. Owners don't want to spend money, most of them. Owners aren't in it to win. And that lack of competitiveness, that kind of happy to be here, oh, look, we're just going to put nine guys on the field, doesn't matter if they're nine all-stars or nine minor league, or, you know, minor league scrubs, we're going to make money anyway. That attitude, again, brings uh, less competition to where now if you go into any certain year, there's not many teams that could truly compete for a World Series. Like, we were going into this season, I think you make the argument, a third of the league is trying to compete for a World Series. Forget about even just being, you know, on the field capable, trying to win. You can make the argument a third of the league is trying to win. The other two-thirds are just happy to be there, happy to collect a paycheck. In some cases, you know, slashing payroll and trying to, you know, make as much money as they possibly can in their pocket. And that lack of competition, especially with how long baseball is, 162 games, starting in March, ending in October, that length of the season, when you don't have a competitive team, brings apathy. If you're a Pittsburgh Pirates fan, 
There is no reason for you to watch baseball past opening day. You have one of the richest owners in baseball. But when he has no care in the world for putting, you know, good players on the field, when he has no care in the world for spending money to try to put a good product on the field, because he knows whether you win 60 games or win 100 games, you're going to make around the same uh, amount of money. There is no incentive to win. And when there's no incentive or motivation to win, from the fans' perspective, there is no reason to care. I was watching the next game yesterday. And whether it was Friday night against the Heat or yesterday against the Sixers, for the first time in a long time, even though the Knicks have been bad for a while, you could really sense the other team's fans taking over the building. There were let's go Heat chants on Friday. There was let's go Sixers chants yesterday. It was pretty loud. And you can make the argument in some cases in terms of volume. There were more Sixers fans and they were louder yesterday and more Heat fans and they were louder on Friday than Knicks fans, even though both games were in the Garden. But again... I have a tough time, and I'm not going to criticize Knicks fans if they just stop going and stop caring. Because guess what? This team stinks. They don't give you a reason to care. They don't give you a reason to spend all this money on tickets to go to the game. Sixers are, you know, the Sixers are going all in. The Heat are, are having a great season this year. So it gives you more motivation if you're a fan to go to these games, to spend money because your, your team is winning and it's a fun product to watch. So Knicks fans, the last, you know, 20-so games of the season, I can't blame it for not going to the games. And it's the same thing in baseball. When you have so many of these teams that are punting before opening day even starts, there is no reason for investment. There is no reason to, to care. When the owner doesn't care, why should you care? When the owner's not frustrated by a 10-game losing streak, why should you be? I get we're fans, so it's different. But that is one of the biggest issues for baseball is there's you know an apathy issue because, again, when your owners don't want to be competitive, there's no reason for the fans to get upset for watching a bad team. So when you look at baseball here, as we, again, are on the final day of an owner-imposed deadline where if there's no deal agreed upon today between the players and the owners, the season will start to decrease and we will have games canceled just like we did in 2020. There is no league, there's no professional league more concerned about the bottom line, more concerned or, or, or more focused on running your team like a business than Major League Baseball. I get a lot of these owners do view owning team as a business, but again, you also can be in it to win it. Your main motivation as an owner should be trying to win, and if not, these leagues should be looking for someone else. Baseball, unfortunately, the bottom line is the main concern. World Series be damned. Even putting a competitive team on the field be damned. And frankly, alienating and risking alienating an entire fan base be damned. As long as that bottom line is what the owners like, doesn't matter, again, if you win 60 games or 100 games. The thing the owners fail to recognize is that by having lockouts, by focusing only on your pocket, not everyone else's, not focused on growing the game, you're actually hurting yourself in the long run, then you're helping yourself. Having a short-term vision of just making sure, okay, in the next five years, I will only have to spend a certain amount of money in order to you know, be in compliance with what MLB wants, and I'll still make a good amount of money, 
When you have that attitude, you're turning fans off when you're not growing the game by either having games canceled, by not putting a competitive product on the field. You are hurting yourself in the long term because you're not growing the game. You're not giving a, a reason for people to watch. And more people that tune out, the less eyeballs that are watching, the less TV revenue that's coming in, the less money at the gate that's coming in. And you eventually are going to lose more money than you gain. So if that's why for me it's imperative, it's the owners. They're the ones that got to get this deal done. And if there's no deal by the end of today, it's a failure on them and they are the ones to blame. I could be naive here. And I, I get what's going to come out of my mouth here. It could sound very dumb to most of you. I'm going to stand by it. I don't think the owners are dumb enough to allow this season to be delayed or, or start to get canceled. I don't think they're dumb enough by this time tomorrow to not have a deal in place. Because again, short term and long term especially hurts them more than it hurts the players. So I do think a deal will get done. I think we'll have baseball in full. But if not, it's on one group and one group only, the major league baseball owners. Big day for baseball. Please, I beg you, don't screw this up. When we return here on the Ryan Hickey Show, James Harden has made his Philly debut, and it has been, frankly, a great one so far. Friday in Minnesota, yesterday at the Garden, James Harden has been killing it. There's still a reason why, though. He should be regretting asking and forcing a trade from the Nets to the Sixers. I'll explain why when we return. Listen to Ryan Hickey right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back Welcome to the back Ryan Hickey Show. Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. Where else but the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. James Harden has had a fantastic two games so far for the Sixers. Triple-double yesterday against the Knicks. Tremendous, you know, in terms of assists. Um, him and Joel Embiid seem to already be on the same page just two games in. So I get things have gone well so far in Philly through the first two games. Basically as good as you can ask for. With that said, though, I think James Harden still has made a mistake and should regret trying to force, or and doing so, I should say, forcing a trade from the Nets to the Sixers. There's one reason for it. Even though his motivation is to still win a title, he's made that known, he's made that clear, he, though, still wants to win a title the easy way. He is someone that does not want to be the leader of a team to the finals. He does not want to be someone who the finals rest on his shoulders. He wants to be carried to the finals. He wants to kind of be, you know, a sidecar or a sidekick to a, a, another leader on the team that is going to lead said team to a championship. He doesn't want to have to put the work in to win a title. And he is going to have to put more work in in Philly than he would if he stayed in Brooklyn. I mean, look, let's look at the reasons and his frustrations for why he eventually forced a trade and why seemingly after committing and committing and committing to staying in Brooklyn, all of a sudden that seemed to flip, you know, almost in a switch. Um, and him wanting out of Brooklyn so fast that it, by the time the deadline came, it actually happened. 
If you look at Bleacher Report, right, because they were one of many outlets that did publish articles in the days and weeks leading up to the trade deadline that were discussing and focusing on James Harden's frustration within the team, Bleacher Report was one of the first to report that Harden was voicing his frustrations to people within the Nets because he felt like he was shouldering too much of the load because he signed up to basically be the third option in a KD, Kyrie, Harden trio. And instead, because of Kevin Durant's injuries, because of Kyrie Irving's part-time status, because of his vaccination, um, or, or lack of vaccination, I should say, James Harden felt like he was basically doing too much. Not what he signed up for. He just openly admitted he wants help, and he wants to kind of coast to a title. The Athletic was another uh, Allah that reported similar feelings. So even if you look at some of his press conferences this year, like if you remember one of the few games Kyrie Irving played, uh, I believe it was the Bulls game, where it was Kyrie, it was Katie, and it was James Harden. They blew out Chicago. And after the game, one of the reporters asked James Harden, what was it like kind of playing with a big three again? And he was joking. He said it was great. And then said, I'll give Kyrie the shot myself if it comes down to it. Nice, you know, joke at the end of a press conference. He's laughing. Reporters are laughing. And it seemed pretty... Innocent at the time. But now you look back and you realize he is not kidding. His frustrations were, in, in fact, because of Kyrie's part-time status. And he wanted to leave Brooklyn in part because he felt like he was doing too much work himself. He desperately wanted Kyrie back. He definitely, desperately wanted KD back because he knew those two guys would carry him to a title instead of what he was doing middle of the season, which is playing either just with Kyrie, playing just with KD, or sometimes playing just by himself because those two were out, and he was tired of it. So instead of being the guy, even though he is still one of the best players in the NBA and arguably the best scorer of all time, he still wants someone else to drag him to the championship, drag him to the final. So he wants to win a title, just doesn't want to put the work in to win a title. And you look, the reason why he's on his third team in, in basically a year is because of that. Right? He left Houston initially because it was just him. He was sick and tired of doing it, quote-unquote, on his own. Wanted to join the big three with Harden and Kyrie, or with Katie and Kyrie. So if he wants now an easier road to the finals, if he wants now a layup, if you will, to win a ring, the road to a title is way easier in Brooklyn than it is in Philly. Like, if he just showed any sort of patience, if he had any sort of foresight, days and hours leading up to the trade deadline, he would have realized, my best bet here to win a championship is waiting for Kevin Durant to return, which should be sometime this week. Waiting for Kyrie Irving to be able to become a full-time player, which now as you seeing that is becoming closer and closer to happening. This week, yesterday actually, Mayor Eric Adams of New York City announced that the public sector of New York City will be repealing their vaccine mandate starting uh, March 7th, next Monday. So again, you have, well, not uh, fully allowed because the private sector is the one that's keeping now Kyrie Irving off the court. You are getting closer, and you would assume by playoff time, Kyrie Irving will be allowed to play in home games. You are going to have KD and Kyrie now back on the court 
and they're able to stay healthy back full-time for the postseason. And that's a way easier road when you're playing with two great players like them than it would be now when you are in Philly when it is just you. He had a lot of chances for Katie and Kyrie to take pressure off of James Harden and be the guys taking the shot and either getting the criticism or getting the praise and kind of having James Harden not be in the spotlight, which is what he wants. He doesn't want to be the guy criticized. He doesn't want to be the guy taking the final shot, uh, putting the team on his back in a big game five or game six or game seven. He wants to essentially just be a, a spoke on the wheel, but not exactly be the guy driving the bus. He doesn't want that pressure. He doesn't want that attention. That attention would have been taken up by Katie and Kyrie because those are the guys down the stretch you would assume are the ones taking the shot and are going to be the ones that are either most praised or most criticized where James Harden basically could have taken a step out and could have been away from the spotlight where now you go to Philly, you still have to be the guy in Philly. Like you think about it. The Sixers are bringing in uh, Harden to be what? To be their closer, to be the finisher, to be the guy to put them over the top and really work uh, hand-in-hand with Joel Embiid to deliver a title to Philadelphia. Even though Embiid is playing and would be my vote, at least right now, like the MVP of the season, uh, of the league, he still needs help. He absolutely still needs help, especially in the postseason, he needs a guy that could score equally as you know frequently as him. And he needs someone that takes pressure off of Embiid, takes attention away from Embiid, and allows him to play free and not focusing on double and triple teams like he was facing the last few years because teams realize, you know, Ben Simmons won't shoot, so we're just going to clog the paint, and that's going to hurt chances for Joel Embiid. So you need James Harden to come in and be a vital part of this team to carry them to a championship. And James Harden has showed you and told you he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to be that guy. He has really never been that guy. And now Philly is bringing and asking James Harden to do the one thing that he's either never done or doesn't want to do. Be the guy. Now we have known and his postseason struggles have been well documented, right? Especially in his time in Houston. He is someone that routinely now, every single postseason, shoots extremely inefficiently, struggles making shots, struggles carrying a team, and really, frankly, his leadership, or lack thereof, really does flare up in the postseason. He's someone who gets down quickly, can't really fight out of it. His mentality is now what you want for a postseason player. And really, when the going gets tough, he gets going. Meaning, gets going out of the playoffs. Gets going down the wrong path. Gives in. When you got to be mentally strong, when you have to be able to kind of block out a lot of the pressure and just focus on being the best you can, James Harden has routinely showed he can't do that. But he's going to have to do that in Philly, and I don't think he can, and I don't think he will. So I get the first two games have gone tremendous. The honeymoon phase is still well on. And again, so far, whether it's his passing, whether it's his shooting, all of a sudden now his three-point shot's looking a lot better than it did a few weeks ago in Brooklyn. All of a sudden now he's getting to the line a lot more frequently than he was in Brooklyn. He looks more engaged on the defensive end. 
He looks happier. He just looks like a totally different player. These two games than he did the last few weeks in Brooklyn. But guess what? The regular season does not matter. We have seen James Harden, again, over and over and over again, have tremendous regular seasons. For him, the question, the concern, the focus is always going to be, can he be the reason why teams win in the postseason? And that answer has continually been no. And now you're bringing him into Philly to have him be the finisher. Have him work with Embiid to knock down big-time shots. In the last two minutes, have him, you know, take and make a lot of big shots in the playoff series. Something that James Harden hasn't done and now, I would say, doesn't want to do. Again, the reason why he was in Brooklyn, the reason why he wanted out of Brooklyn was because the guys he signed up to play with were unhealthy and, and not, you know, fully on the court because of their vaccination status. He needs those guys out there because James Harden knows they take pressure off him. And he got frustrated that he was constantly the one guy out there. But now with them coming back, with KD getting healthier, with Kyrie now in New York City slowly starting to repeal their vaccine mandates, they are going to be on the court, and they would have taken a lot of pressure off of James Harden. Compared to now in Philly, the spotlight is even brighter. Sure, it's Joel Embiid's team. He's the MVP of the league so far this season. He's playing great. The pressure in the spotlight is going to be on James Harden and to see whether he can get the job done. Whether he can do something he's never done in his career. Play well in the postseason and be a difference maker in the postseason. Forget not doing it. I don't think he wants to do it. And that to me is very concerning. And that to me is the reason why I don't think that making the move from Brooklyn to Philly is the right one. And I don't think it gets him closer to a title. I think his path to a championship was easier in Brooklyn than it is in Philly. And still, even with this trade in place, I would still take the Nets with KD, with Kyrie, and, and maybe Ben Simmons at some point. I would take that trio right now, getting further in the playoffs and getting closer to a title than the Sixers right now. I absolutely would. And that's why, for me, I think it's a major mistake for James Harden forcing a trade from Brooklyn to uh, Philly. He's gotten off to a hot start. Fans are loving James Harden. His jersey's flying off the racks. Everyone is happy in Philly. I still think it's a huge, huge, huge mistake because James Harden wants to win a title the easy way, and it's not going to happen in Philly. So I'm curious your thoughts here. Does James Harden, did he have a better chance of winning a title in Brooklyn or now seeing the first two games of him in Philly? seeing how he's fit in seamlessly with Joel Embiid so far. The two look like they're having a lot of fun. Embiid loves playing with Harden already. Harden looks like a totally different player compared to the last few weeks in Brooklyn. Does he have a better chance of winning a title in your mind with this 76ers squad? Plenty of ways to get involved in the show. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. At Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Is where you can tweet your thoughts. Right on Facebook is where you can also chime in and give your thoughts on James Harden's future. Is he going to have success in Philly or not? So I'd love to hear your thoughts. We'll get them uh, on the other side when we return. And also when we return, Kyler Murray's agent this morning put out a, a very long statement. In the extremely short version, it is this. Pay Kyler Murray this year. Kyler Murray wants a contract extension this year. I'll explain why that would be a massive, 
massive mistake by the Cardinals to give him a contract extension this year. I'll explain why when we return. Listen to the Ryan Key Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twenty minutes from now on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, specifically the Ryan Hickey Show, we will dive into whether Aaron Rodgers is staying or going in Green Bay. I think he's a goner for two reasons. Now, we saw a play out right in front of our eyes last week. I'll tell you what those two reasons are. But speaking of staying or going, we have another quarterback here that is trying to basically make a power move, make a power play, and that is Kyler Murray. And I think it's a, it's a massive mistake for the Arizona Cardinals to give Kyler Murray a contract extension this offseason. Exercise his fifth-year option, play it out, but you absolutely cannot give Kyler Murray a contract extension because we have not seen Kyler Murray in the big game in the big moment play well. I don't think you can pay your quarterback $40 million a season if you know come January, come really, frankly, forget January, December, December, January, February, post-Thanksgiving. If your quarterback can't play well in that stretch, can't play well in the postseason, you can't pay him. That's, that's it for me. I don't care what he does in September, October. I don't care that every single year he's on the MVP list, uh, on the short list, and through the first half of the season looks like a great quarterback. If you can't consistently, or even just for one game, play well down the stretch in some of the biggest games of the season, I am not giving you a contract extension until I see it or have faith that you can do it. So in case you missed it earlier today, the reason why we're talking about Kyler Murray and his contract uh, extension is because Kyler Murray, over the weekend, on Friday, made it public that the Cardinals and Kyler Murray are back on the same page right after that entire soap opera where Kyler is scrubbing his social media and the Cardinals did the same. There was reports from Jane Slater of NFL Network that the two have now made up and are moving forward together. There were some questions, not that really anyone was ever doubting that Kyler Murray wouldn't be back in Arizona, but there were some doubts that maybe he could try to force his way out or that the Cardinals would trade him. But Jane Slater, again, put cold water on that by saying the two are have basically made up, they're on the same page, and they're moving forward together. Then, an hour ago, this morning, Kyler Murray's agent sent a memo, a very long memo to Adam Schefter, the TLDR, too long, didn't read version, because it is very long, the font is very small, I could barely read it myself. I don't need reading glasses. Thankfully, knock on wood, my vision is 2020 so far. I could barely read it. It was so small. It was so long. So the too long didn't read version is this. Kyler Murray wants a contract extension this offseason. The, the Cardinals are trying to, or the, I should say, Kyler Murray and his agent are trying to force the Cardinals to pay him right now. They cited that Kyler Murray and his agent need assurances from Arizona. They are committed to him long term. The only way to show their commitment long term is what? giving him a lucrative extension, and basically putting their money where their mouth is. But again, like I said before, you can't give him a contract extension this offseason. Exercise his fifth-year option. Take it year by year. But you cannot pay Kyler Murray $40 million a season just yet because guess what? 2020 and 2021 
were identical seasons in terms of Kyler Murray starting off hot and crumbling down the stretch. And I am not, if I'm a team, if I'm a GM, if I'm an owner, if I'm a head coach that's involved in these negotiations, I am not paying my quarterback $40 million a season when I can't see him play well in the big moment. When I have continually so far in his short career, three years in the NFL, back-to-back seasons, see him really play his worst football at the worst time possible, which is, again, post-Thanksgiving, late November, but mostly December and January. You pay elite quarterbacks $40 million a season for them come playoff time to play their best football. We saw that just this most recent postseason. Who played well? Chiefs made to the AFC title game. Bills should have made to the AFC title game in no fault of Josh Allen's. Uh, Matthew Stafford, a little up and down during the, during the season and even during some playoff games, but guess what? The Rams won the Super Bowl in part because Matthew Stafford made big throws against the Buccaneers, big throws against the 49ers, big throws against the Bengals. The quarterback in Matthew Stafford was one of the biggest reasons why the Rams won the Super Bowl. The reason why the Bengals were in the Super Bowl was Joe Burrow. So you can make an argument. You can take a look. The quarterbacks were the biggest factors as to why teams either played well and won or struggled and lost. Quarterback play was so is, is so important, as we know, but it was really put on display this past postseason. And one of the guys who struggled, one of the guys who really crumbled down the stretch was Kyler Murray. So the fact that he's not been able to play well now two years in a row in, in, in the games that mean the most are reasons why I'm not paying him. Let's, let's take a look. Let's break it down here really quickly. 2021, you go back to last year, or just this past season. First eight games of the season, right? Remember, the Cardinals were 7-0, the last remaining undefeated team. The first eight games of the season, the Cardinals were 7-1, looking like world beaters. Kyler Murray combined for 20 total touchdowns to seven turnovers. Basically a 3-1 touchdown-to-turnover ratio. The final seven games of the year, when he returned from injury, the Cardinals were 1-5, or 2-5. Or Kyler Murray had nine total touchdowns, to five turnovers. So the record almost flipped. 20 total touchdowns to seven turnovers the first half of the season. Nine total touchdowns to five turnovers the last seven games of the season. And that includes the playoff game in which they got smoked by the Rams. But this is not just a one-year default. This is not just a one-year problem. Because you go back to 2020, the exact same thing Happened. The Cardinals started off the 2020 season 6-3. and three. Kyler Murray was right square in the middle of the MVP race through nine games of the regular season in 2020. He had 27 total touchdowns, 10 turnovers. He was playing great. The final seven games of the season, though, their record was 2-5, and five, so they went from 6-3 and three to 2-5. and five. Kyler Murray, the last seven games... 10 total touchdowns to six turnovers. It's an exact same disparity. First half to second half. He now, for the second year in a row, has struggled playing in the biggest games of the season. So yes, I get last year they missed the playoffs, and this year they got there. They got there for the first time since 2015. Yes, they were, you know, one of the best teams in the first half of the season. I get it. Then he got hurt. 
But still, this is now a pattern the Cardinals and Kyler Murray are starting to show you. They can get off to hot starts. They can play really well out of the gate in September and October. But as the season gets later, as we start to dwindle down to playing in the biggest games of the year, Kyler Murray and the Cardinals disappeared. They got beat pretty bad on Monday night by the Rams in a game that desperately the Rams needed in December. They fouled that up by getting blown out by the Lions and then fouled that up by losing to a Colts team, mind you, that was was COVID-ravaged, that was missing guys like Darius Leonard. They're missing some of their best corners. They had no offensive linemen that were any sort of competent. And the Cardinals still lost that game. Kyler Murray did not play well. The offense left so much on the field in terms of points and scoring opportunities that, again, that is not what you want from your quarterback, your franchise quarterback, a guy that you could possibly play, uh, pay $40 million a season to. I got to see it first. I may see it to believe it, guy, to be honest. I thought, I'll be honest, full disclosure, when the Bills paid Josh Allen last summer, I thought it was a mistake. Josh Allen had an MVP type of year in 2020. Unlike Kyler Murray, he actually played well through the entirety of the regular season, faltered a bit in the playoffs, did not play well. I had reservations, and I thought the Bills should have waited one more year. I have of the mindset, I'm of the mentality. I'd rather overpay for something I know than try to get a cheaper deal on a question mark, right? Because now, as we know, with, uh, with quarterback salaries, it's a race. It's a race to pay your quarterback because the price only goes up. So when you have guys like Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson out there that, you know, I don't think we'll get extensions this offseason, either of them, but are in line for a possible extension. If you are now any team that's looking to pay your quarterback, right, it's the race is on because whatever Lamar gets paid is going to probably surpass Josh Allen or be right in the ballpark. Josh Allen was the last quarterback to get paid. And Kyler Murray, then, if you're the Cardinals or you want to pay your quarterback, you're going to have to pay even more than what Lamar Jackson made. The quarterback market now is all about one-upping the previous guy. All about making your quarterback, whoever it is, whether he's deserving of it or not, the highest-paid quarterback in some standard, whether it's average annual value, whether it's guaranteed money, whether it's signing bonus money, However, you want to factor in being the highest paid quarterback in one aspect. That is now what every team has to do when it comes to extending their quarterbacks. That's what the market is. That's what the agents are pushing for. So if you're the Cardinals, you're really going to pay Kyler Murray, who two years in a row has faltered down the stretch, has lost some really bad games, has had the offense go in neutral. You're going to pay him now $40 million a year coming off that awful playoff performance where he frankly just quit, couldn't do anything, running the ball, throwing the ball, was horrendous, had an awful pick in the end zone. You are really trying to tell me that Kyler Murray is deserving of $40 million a year? Why? Why? It's funny. Kyler uh, Kyler Murray's agent almost made the exact reason why you shouldn't pay Kyler Murray after year three. In some of the examples he listed as to quarterbacks that got paid after year three. He cited examples like Deshaun Watson of the Texans, like Josh Allen of the Bills, like Patrick Mahomes of the Chiefs as to guys getting paid after year three and why the Cardinals should pay Kyler Murray this offseason. Do you know what those three guys, Allen, Mahomes, Watson, have in common that Kyler Murray doesn't? Playoff success. 
MVP consideration. Playing well in December and January. Winning playoff games. Being the reason why your team wins playoff games. They all have multiple playoff wins under their belt. They all have played well and earned those contracts to be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. And I think you could say all three felt confident when paying their quarterback, this guy is worth the money. This is not going to be a bad investment. Whereas you look at Kyler Murray, you cannot sell me right now with a straight face that if you give Kyler Murray $40 million a season, that you feel good about that investment. That you feel positive that your return on investment is going to be one that's worth it. There's no, there's no guarantee because Kyler Murray hasn't showed you one time yet he can play well in the biggest moments of the season. You pay your quarterback $40-plus million a season to play well in December, January, and hopefully February. The areas now where Kyler Murray has consistently struggled in has been playing games in December and January. Two years in a row. He has played his worst football at the absolute most important time for the Cardinals. Two years ago, it resulted in them losing in the playoffs. This year, because they got out to such a hot start, they backed their way into the postseason and then got crushed in the wild card around to the Rams where the offense was had one of the worst offensive performances in NFL playoff history. No hyperbole. So you cannot pay Kyler Murray for the Cardinals. You absolutely cannot. You have time on your side, and you got to use that to your advantage. Kyler Murray is entering year number four. You're going to exercise the fifth-year option. So he has two years, bare minimum, under contract to play well and earn it. You could franchise tag him as well if things go south. Look at what the Cowboys did. But if you're the Cardinals, if I'm Michael Bidwell, their owner, if I'm Steve Kime, the GM, I'm telling Kyler Murray, you got to earn it. I'm not giving you an extension. And I'd rather pay more. I'd rather pay you $45 million a year next year and be guaranteed and be as close to certain as you can that you are worth the money rather than get out ahead of it, try to get a cheap deal done now, cheap, I put in quotes, air quotes, and let's say you save $5 million a year. Let's say you only pay, uh, only pay Kyler Murray $40 million this season. But you don't really know what you got. You don't know if he can be the guy. You think he can be the guy. Right? We all like Kyler Murray. We all see his potential. He's an insanely athletic player. He's kind of, you know, almost a, a one-of-one one, one type quarterback where he's mobile, he runs, but he doesn't really take big hits. But he is yet to show you he can play well on the big moment, which is why I am not paying Kyler Murray just yet. Absolutely not. Play out 2022. See if he can earn it there. Wait for him to play a good game in December. Wait for him to play a good game in January before you decide to pay Kyler Murray $40-plus million a season. So I'm curious your thoughts here. Should the Cardinals pay Kyler Murray? If you were the Cardinals GM, if you were the Cardinals owner, would you feel comfortable right now giving Kyler Murray over $40 million a season? Has he earned it? Has he earned it in your mind? Love to hear your thoughts. Facebook Worldwide Sports Network. Twitter, tweet me at Ryan Hickey Show. Or WWSRN underscore radio. Both of those handles have the show live streaming. You can go right in there, comment on Facebook, comment on Twitter. Love to get, to, uh, love to get your thoughts. Should the Cardinals pay Kyler Murray? Or should they wait? And when we return, we'll discuss the future of another 
quarterback. Aaron Rodgers, I think, is a goner for two reasons we saw last week. I'll explain what those two reasons are. You're listening to The Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to The Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. As always, the 10 o'clock hour on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network is sponsored by LC Designs. Charcuterie boards are per for all occasions. Should make sure your guests are happily fed with some delicious and aesthetically pleasing charcuterie boards made by Lauren Clark herself. So make sure you check out lcdesignsnyc.com. That's lcdesignsnyc.com for more information. We'll circle back to the Kyler Murray discussion here in a little bit. Should the Cardinals pay him or should they play out his rookie deal? Kyler put out a statement or his agent. Can we even call it a statement? It was too long. So we'll circle back to that, whether the Cardinals should pay Kyler Murray this offseason or not. But let's talk about a quarterback whose future is also up in the air. And that's Aaron Rodgers. I think Aaron Rodgers is leaving Green Bay this offseason. I think he's requesting a trade. I think he is playing for another team in 2022. And here's why. Forget everything this last year. Forget everything we have heard. We have seen reports about the, you know, frustration, whatever. Everything this past year to me is irrelevant. What's convinced me Aaron Rodgers is gone from Green Bay is two things that I think we saw play out right in front of our eyes just last week. Last week, I think, revealed two important facts and keys about Aaron Rodgers' future. Number one, I think last week showed the Rodgers-Brian Gutekunst, uh, Brian Gutekunst relationship excuse me, isn't as strong as we thought. Last week, I think playing out publicly showed us why. I'll explain that in a second. And number two, I think Aaron Rodgers is trying to force the Packers to do something they have never never done before. And that is go all in. I don't think the Packers will go all in. I think those two reasons are two reasons why I think Aaron Rodgers is going to request a trade and he is going to be playing elsewhere in 2022. So let's start with the relationship between the quarterback and the GM, right? Because as we know, it was initially reported they have a very icy relationship and that is the reason why Aaron Rodgers leaked out and went public with his frustrations last year. And that led to, obviously, as we know, the whole tizzy. And that started and kind of sent everyone into, uh, into panic mode about whether Aaron Rodgers is going to stay or go. But since Aaron Rodgers returned to the Packers in July, agreed to play 2021, we have heard nothing but positivity from Rodgers and Gutekunst about how their relationship is getting stronger. Now, that's all we've heard from Rodgers saying it, from Brian Gutekunst himself saying it as well. We have heard this dynamic getting stronger, becoming better. With that said, though, I think last week, despite what both gentlemen are trying to tell you, that it's getting better. Last week showed you the quarterback GM dynamic still has contention. We are seeing a power struggle right in front of our eyes go down. And again, it's happening all within the last week. Let me explain how. On Wednesday, all right, Wednesday, Brian Gutekunst met with the media, met with the, the reporters, 
and said something very interesting that I don't think was an accident, and I think speaks volumes more than it was even kind of getting talked about and what initially was said. So after his press conference, he then met kind of behind closed doors with some beat reporters from the Packers and had some things leaked out, but basically did a, a sit-down, an informal interview. One of the things that came out of that informal interview was that Brian Gutekunst revealed that there was no agreement. There was no gentleman's agreement between the Packers and Rodgers that if Rodgers decided to request a trade, there's no guarantee the Packers will trade him. Which is something that we have definitely not heard of before and runs contrary to the reports we heard uh, in the summer that there was an agreement that the Packers, if Rodgers, after the season, now Jay Glazer was the one who reported it, if Rodgers, who was going to play 2021, if he reevaluated his future after the season and decided that, you know what, my future is best elsewhere and he wants a trade, the Packers would acquiesce to that request and they would trade him. We have been under that impression that Rodgers really does control his future ever since he came back in July and decided to play 2021 with Green Bay. Well, now the GM of the Packers is basically telling you, not so fast. Even if Aaron Rodgers does request a trade, there's no guarantee we'll trade him. That, to me, is a shot. That, to me, is a reminder that Brian Gutekunst subtly is trying to remind Aaron Rodgers that while publicly... It appears that Rodgers holds the leverage, right? We are all sitting here waiting for who to make their decision. Aaron Rodgers. The Packers aren't the ones deciding whether to keep or, or, or trade Aaron Rodgers. It's right now Aaron Rodgers is the one that is trying to figure out whether his future is going to be in Green Bay or elsewhere. So seemingly, it appears that Rodgers is the one making his decision about the future. And I do think this little nugget, this little quote here by the, the Packers GM, does kind of send a subtle shot to Rodgers that... Hey, just a reminder, buddy, you think you hold all the cards when, in fact, we have the leverage. We are the ones that truly control your future. You can have this whole charade and you can kind of have this whole song and dance and pretend like you control your future. But in reality, we own your rights for 2022. And even if you ask for a trade, there's no guarantee we're going to do it. And we're only going to do it if it makes sense for us. That, to me, is one area that shows, hmm, so still some friction there. Hmm, maybe that dynamic isn't as patched up as we were told. And here's another part that happened that I think is equally revealing. Knowing Aaron Rodgers the way we do, seeing him in the media, seeing how he conducts himself, seeing how he, you know, he talks in interviews with Pat McAfee where he's kind of open, right? We know Aaron Rodgers is an independent thinker. He's someone who likes to beat to his own drum. Do you think Aaron Rodgers, when upon hearing... That message from the Packers GM that kind of was just basically like, hey, Aaron, just remember, we still kind of hold all the leverage here. Don't think and don't let it go to your head that you are the one that is in control here. Really, we are. I think Aaron Rodgers would let that go by that responding. I think he would just kind of let that sit there and let the Packers get the upper hand in this relationship or in this, not dispute, but in this saga that is, that is developing right in front of our eyes. No, of course not. He's going to respond. And guess what? He did respond. Because guess who had a report the very next day, merely hours after Brian Gutekunst kind of sent a reminder that, hey, we own Aaron Rodgers' rights. There's no guarantee we'll trade him. Diana Rossini reported and then went on the Rich Eisen show to say that Aaron Rodgers is looking to get $50 million a season. She reported that he wants to be the highest-paid quarterback, highest-paid player in the NFL 
by a wide margin. And, and here's the kicker. There are already multiple teams lined up with trade offers on the table that are ready to make a move if Rodgers decides to leave. That's Aaron Rodgers sending a shot across the bow that, hey, you think you hold the cards? I hold the cards, buddy. It's my decision to make. There is still contention here between Rodgers, the quarterback, Gutekunst, the GM. That report by Dino Rossini, let me ask you this, is it a coincidence? Is the timing an accident where one day the Packers say there's no guaranteed we'll, we'll control Aaron Rodgers. The next day, Aaron Rodgers, he's a poor dad, but Aaron Rodgers wanting to be not only the highest paid quarterback in the NFL, also has multiple trade offers lined up if, if he decides for a trade. That is Rodgers putting pressure on the Packers to try to bend to his demands. So this relationship is not only still tense, these are two alpha dogs trying to go back and forth and trying to get the upper hand, trying to be the one who truly wins at the end of the day. And guess what? I don't think either is backing down. I don't see the Packers kind of bending the knee and giving Aaron Rodgers what he wants. And I don't see Aaron Rodgers for the second offseason in a row obliging and kind of taking whatever the Packers give him and kind of coming back with his tail between his legs. I think both sides are holding strong. I think that means there's only going to be one resolution, which is a trade. So one of the reasons why I think Aaron Rodgers is out of Green Bay is because the relationship between the GM and the quarterback is not as rosy as we were being told, as we were being sold. There is real contention here. We are seeing it, again, right in front of our face. Put the pieces together. It's a pretty simple puzzle to solve. One day the Packers say, we're not trading you. The next day Aaron Rodgers or, or a report about Aaron Rodgers comes out that he wants to be the highest paid quarterback and there are multiple teams out there ready to make him the highest paid quarterback. Basically saying, if you're not going to do it, plenty of teams are going to do it, Green Bay. So either pony up right now, or I'm out of here. That, to me, is one reason why I think Aaron Rodgers is gone. That relationship is not, it is still fractured to a point where I think all fences are mended and all feelings um, are, are patched up. There's still some hurt feelings there. We're seeing it play out. So that's number one. Number two, I also think Aaron Rodgers, whether it's his contract demands, whether it's trying to keep the team together, is forcing or trying to force the Packers to go all in for the first time in really my lifetime. I'm 27 years old. So if we just round up, let's say 30 years old, three decades, I have been alive to watch the NFL, watch, you know, see how things go down and see the Packers and how they played. The one thing the Packers have consistently done in my lifetime is have one eye on the present and always one eye on the future. They never go all in. They never do what the Rams just did or the Patriots have done in previous years by saying, you know, uh, what was it? Burn the boats, we're going all in, right? You know that phrase, burn the boats? Basically saying there's no going back. We're all in on conquering whatever we're here to conquer. There's no going home. There's no retreating. We're either going to get it done or die. That's kind of what other teams have done. That's what the Rams have done this past year, and it worked out to end in a Super Bowl. The one thing the Packers have never done is do exactly what the Rams did, burn the boats. Say, screw it. We're going to take advantage of this window we have right now to try to do everything possible to give us a Super Bowl. Right? You look at what the Packers haven't done. They rarely, if ever, shell out big-time free agent contracts. They never really trade, trade, uh, they never trade uh, draft capital, I should say, for players. Right? They never trade first-round picks for a corner or trade first-round picks for a quarterback or a receiver or, a, or an edge rusher. 
their goal is to stay competitive every single year. So you don't get stuck with bad contracts. You don't get stuck without, you know, draft capital and, and little ways to improve your roster and have no cap flexibility. The goal for the Packers is to stay relative, stay competitive every or relevant, I should say, not relative, relevant every single year and stay competitive every single year. To their credit, they have done so. The Packers have always been a team that's consistently winning, consistently in the playoffs, consistently winning their division, and always kind of in the mix for a Super Bowl, right? To their credit, they've done that. But on the flip side, though, the Packers have also consistently fallen short. They have made just one Super Bowl appearance. Now, they won it with Aaron Rodgers, but that was back in 2010. They have not made another Super Bowl, just appearance, since that year. And if you now go back to totality of the Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre careers. They went right from Favre to Rodgers. You have now had 30 consecutive seasons, if you're the Green Bay Packers, of having a Hall of Fame quarterback under center. 30 consecutive seasons. And what do they have to show for it? Just two Lombardi trophies. Just three Super Bowl appearances overall. In 30 years with a Hall of Fame quarterback under center for the Packers. Lack The lack of going all-in has cost them winning Super Bowls. They've always been in the mix, but having a Hall of Fame quarterback for now 30 consecutive years and making just three Super Bowls is an underachievement. So that lack of going all-in, the fear of having a down year, the fear of having to go through what the Patriots went through in 2020, which was when they went all in in 2016 and 2017 and 2018 to win Super Bowls. 2020 was a year where Tom Brady left. There wasn't many uh, ways to improve the roster. They had so little cap flexibility that they basically had to f- were forced to start Cam Newton, get him off the scrap heap just to play quarterback for him in 2020. As you know, that did not work out very well. And the Patriots, even with the opt-outs, were not able to build their team um, in a competitive way and were 7-9. They had a very down year. Now, still a down year at 7-9 is pretty respectable. But the Patriots had an off year, and Bill Belichick accounted that for him. He said, look, we went all in. We had some bad contracts. We had some guys that, you know, we, we paid that were older. We went all in on that little 2016 to 2019 push. They made three Super Bowls. They won two. It's a success, but you got to pay the piper eventually, right? Anytime you go all in, there's a price to pay down the road. It's harder to build your team to be a consistent winner in five or ten years when you kind of burn all your first-round picks, when you give older players big-time free agent co- excuse me, contracts, and you make it harder to build your team to be sustainably winning. But if you win a Super Bowl or two, it's worth it. The Packers don't want that downslide. And if you bring Aaron Rodgers back, you are going all in and doing the one thing the Packers have refused to do. Because asking for $50 million a season is already putting a massive strain on the salary cap. The Packers have the second worst cap space situation in all the NFL. Over the weekend, they got their cap space. You know, they have all week have been... um, have been renegotiating contracts, restructuring contracts, trying to open up cap space. But there's still $37 million over the cap, and that's not including a new Aaron Rodgers contract. So they already need to jump through a ton of hoops just to be cap compliant for 2022 before you put the Aaron Rodgers number on the books and also before you put DeAndre uh, Devontae Adams on the books as well. 
Because for Aaron Rodgers to stay in Green Bay, you're going to have to keep Devonta Adams there as well. And you're going to have to keep Devonta Adams on a brand new deal. No Devonta, I would say there's no Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers has shown you, and he's made it clear multiple times, he wants to see the future of Devontae Adams, and that will decide whether he's going to stay or go. So if you're the Packers, you can franchise tag Devontae Adams, yes. He doesn't want it. The Packers have already said as well they don't want to do that. It's a last resort. With that said, though, you're going to have to pay Devontae to be the top receiver in the NFL. He's made no bones about it. He said that's his goal, and he's not going to give the Packers a hometown discount. Forget the fact they're in cap hell. He feels like he has earned the right, and deservingly so, of being the highest paid receiver in the NFL. To clear that bar, to own that title, he has to get above DeAndre Hopkins, who is earning $27.3 million. So if you add Rodgers' $50 million salary ask, plus uh, Devonta Adams' over $27.3 million, it's basically $80 million on just two players alone. And I don't see the Packers doing that. I don't see the Packers agreeing to that. They have been, you know, they have been uh, sustainably competitive every single year because they don't put themselves in binds like that where you have so much of the ca- uh, salary cap spent on two players. I don't think the Packers are going to go all in. I don't think they're willing to go all in, which is exactly what Aaron Rodgers wants. And I do think that the lack of going all in plus the lack of a good relationship between Gutekunst and Rodgers is going to lead Rodgers to requesting a trade out. I think Rodgers is a goner from Green Bay because of just what we've seen within the last week. The fighting, the public fighting, the the jockeying between Rodgers and Gutekunst of trying to see who has the upper hand with with Gutekunst saying, we're not trading you. Rodgers saying, oh, well, this is is my demands. I want $50 million a year. Oh, by the way, plenty of teams with trade offers on the table ready to trade for me if you're not going to do it. And now again, seeing Rodgers or, or seeing Rodgers wanting the Packers to go all in for the first time in his career, for the first time in 30 years, I don't think Green Bay would do it. And those two reasons, I think Rodgers is getting traded out of Green Bay. How about yourself? Do you agree or disagree? Do you think Aaron Rodgers will be in a Green Bay Packer next season or will he be somewhere else? Love to get your thoughts, whether it's Facebook, type it there, Worldwide Sports Network. If you're on Twitter, we appreciate you watching there. At Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter is where you can tweet me, WWSR Run underscore radio. Or if you're watching on Twitter, you could type right there. There's a little chat uh, on the live stream. Type your thoughts in. Is Aaron Rodgers staying or going? So get your thoughts on Aaron Rodgers. And when we return, we'll keep the quarterback discussion flowing. Mason Rudolph, is he the best option for the Steelers in 2022? My answer is yes. I'll explain why that is when we return us into Ryan Hickey right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. We got a good feeling here on a Monday, and hopefully you do as well. Steelers fans, though, might not have some good vibes, some good feelings heading towards 2022 because they have, for the first time in almost two decades, a massive question at 
quarterback. A lot of different options for the Steelers to go down, to the route for them to go down in 2022. There is one clear and obvious choice for me who the Steelers quarterback next season should be. The answer, Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph should be the Steelers starting quarterback in 2022. Play it out. Uh, Keep your draft capital uh, intact. Keep your salary cap space intact. Go build the team around Mason Rudolph. And in 2023, go chase your quarterback, whether it's through the draft, free agency, or trade. The reason why the Steelers have to punt on a quarterback decision this year and put a placeholder in like Mason Rudolph is because the Steelers have to be honest with themselves. Heading into 2022, they are the worst team in their division. They are not winning a Super Bowl next year. They are not winning the division. And I don't think they're making the playoffs. So because you have holes on this roster, because you have holes on this team, I don't think these Steelers are going to be in play for a guy like Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, or Deshaun Watson. And you can rule out three of those quarterbacks, the top three quarterbacks that could be available in the offseason for a trade because they have other sexier landing spots, better destinations, more teams and places that are ready to win right now than Pittsburgh. So if you're not going to get an elite guy, which I don't think they will, if you're not going to get a Russell Wilson or an Aaron Rodgers or Deshaun Watson, for me, there is no sense in the Steelers getting a middle-tier quarterback in hopes of what? Making the playoffs? In hopes of going 9-8 and eight or 10-7 and seven and getting blown out in the postseason again, just like they did in 2021? The most clear and obvious path for the Steelers to get back to consistent winning is playing 2022 out with Mason Rudolph, patch up the holes all along this roster, and go all in on a quarterback next season when this team is truly ready to not only just win, win the division and compete for Super Bowls. They're not there right now. I know it's tough for Steelers fans to hear it, and maybe even just NFL fans that have known the Steelers to always be one of those consistent winning teams every single year. But this is one of the rare and few opportunities and occasions where the Steelers have to be self-aware. you got to truly look at yourself in the mirror and, and think about this. Is a quarterback like Derek Carr, if you trade for him from the Raiders, if you trade for Kirk Cousins, or even Jimmy Garoppolo, if you trade for one of those three quarterbacks, let me ask you this. Are these Steelers a playoff team next season? I'd say no. I would absolutely say no. Like all three quarterbacks have question marks. And again, if you are trading for any of those three guys, it's still going to take some draft capital. All three have a hefty, you know, salary cap price, and it's going to limit your ability to to address other needs, address other areas. So why, if you're the Steelers, would you waste draft capital and cap space to bring in a quarterback that's not a game changer? Why would you do that? Give yourself flexibility. Make yourself an attractive landing spot next season for a disgruntled quarterback. I mean, hell, look at Kyler Murray and his agent today putting the full-on blitz to the Cardinals saying, pay us right now, pay us this offseason, or else. Guess what? What if the Cardinals don't pay Kyler Murray? What if he plays 2022 with the Cardinals, no contract extension, and next year he forces his way out? You have all the draft capital available to you. 
you patch up some of the holes in your team now, you could be in play for Kyler Murray next year. The draft class next year is deeper than it is this year. Who knows? Maybe Russell Wilson doesn't get traded. Maybe Aaron Rodgers comes back for one last hurrah, then he's a free agent next year in 2022. What if he leaves? There's, to me, more options and more upside by addressing the rest of the team this offseason than going for a middle-tier quarterback that really doesn't change the trajectory of your Super Bowl aspirations that much and keep and maintain flexibility for next offseason. Use 2022 as a reset. Retool. Because look at the division you're in. It's not just about making the playoffs next year for the Steelers. you got to now start looking at building a sustainable winner for the future. I don't think trading for Derek Carr, Jimmy G, or Kirk Cousins accomplishes that. Because you look at the division you are in. It's tough to make the playoffs when you are now the worst team in your division. I think the Bengals are legit. I think the Bengals, to me, are a team that's not a fluke and not a one-hit wonder. They have a great quarterback in Joe Burrow. They got great receivers in Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins. All, by the way, cheap and on rookie deals. So guess what? That allows them a lot of flexibility, a lot of options, draft and free agent-wise, to address their biggest weakness, which is offensive line. Maybe they swing and miss on all five, but I would be hard-pressed to say the, the Bengals' O-line next year will be worse or equal to what it was this year. I think it will get better. A better O-line, more time, means less hits for Joe Burrow and more opportunities to make plays. More time for those receivers to get open. So I don't think that the, the Bengals are a flash in the pan. To me, they're legit and going to be a problem now for the next decade. The Browns, I think, will have a bounce-back season next year. I get a lot went wrong in Cleveland. There's still questions about Baker Mayfield's uh, ability to be the franchise quarterback. I'm a believer in Baker. I would like to see him fully healthy last year. Call for what it is. Shoulder injury week two was never the same after that. Still problems with Baker himself and how he has played. But I think if we see a fully healthy Baker, we'll see a better version in 2022 than we saw in 2021. A lot of other injuries. There's, there's to me, too much talent on Cleveland for them to have a repeat of what happened in 2020. I think we'll see next season... A, a more team that looks like they did in 2020 where they were really tough in the playoffs. They beat the Steelers, aforementioned Steelers, in the wild card round and advanced to the divisional round. To me, the Browns are going to have a bounce back year. I think the Ravens will as well. Ravens were absolutely decimated by injuries. Absolutely decimated. Lamar Jackson had the worst year of his career in part because, again, those injuries didn't help on the O-line, on the offensive, uh, on the offensive line, in the running back room, the secondary. Steelers had, uh, the, the Ravens had issues. So I think the Ravens will bounce back. I think the Browns will bounce back. And I think the Bengals are here to stay. So you look at the Steelers right now. They are fourth. They are absolutely fourth right now in that division because they have major holes they have to address. This defense is not the steel Kern defense that we are used to seeing. This is not a truly Steelers-esque defense that is tough, that is hard-nosed, that is, you know, a, frankly, a pitch to play against if you're an opposing offense. This defense really struggled last year at everything except getting after the quarterback. Right? TJ Watt, guy was, was unblockable. Steelers led the NFL in terms of sacks as a team last year. Other than getting after the quarterback, they were not very good in any other aspect of defense. They're 24th in total defense. Their run defense was god-awful, the worst in the NFL. This is a Steelers defense, a Steelers defense. That allowed 146 yards per game on the ground last year. And that felt worst. And they were 20th in terms of points per game allowed. So this defense did not do the team many favors. And offensively, 
they had one of the worst offensive lines in all the NFL. Right, that, that lack of blocking did not allow Big Ben to have a lot of time to throw the ball and also did not have uh, or did not allow Najee Harris to find a lot of holes. And this guy's breaking three, four, five tackles a game or, or, or a play just to get back to the line of scrimmage. That offensive line made Najee Harris's life hell last year. So you improve that O-line. You now, instead of trading for a middle-tier quarterback, you make a trade for an offensive lineman. You draft a few guys in the draft. You now have salary cap room because you got Mason Rudolph on a cheap deal to go sign a free agent left tackle or guard or two. You now can turn that offensive line around and give your quarterback more time. Allow Najee Harris to find holes and, and take the pressure off the quarterback. And the Steelers had one of the worst rushing attacks all last season. It's not because Najee Harris thinks, because the O-line stinks. So if I'm the Steelers, if I am, I guess right now, Kevin Colbert, but if I am the incoming general manager, whenever he decides to step down, when, uh, whenever an heir apparent is named, I am using the 11th most cap space available in the NFL this offseason to improve the O-line to get some run stuffers, to really improve everything on the back seven of the defense, to maybe get a playmaking wide receiver in there too. I know Deontay Johnson had a decent statistical year. I still don't trust him in terms of the drops. He scares me. He's not a, a true game breaker. I try to really try to upgrade a lot of my team and really focus everywhere but the quarterback. And then try to play it out Mason Rudolph in 2022. Because let's be honest, if Mason Rudolph is your quarterback, even if you get a better O-line, even if the defense improves, this team is, what, maybe be around 500? I mean, honestly, if you're serious, maybe hope a little less. Like, you definitely want to be inside the top 15 in the draft next year, maybe even the top 10. Because guess what? When you look at the draft class coming out of next year's draft or next year's college football season, if you're in the top 10, if you're the Steelers, with an improved O-line, with a better run game, maybe a game-breaking receiver, a defense that plays better than it did in 2021, you can set yourself up now to maybe draft Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud. Maybe make a play again for a guy like Kyler Murray who plays one more year and then decides to leave. You can set yourself up to make a big swing at a quarterback in 2023 and make yourself an attractive landing spot, which right now you're not. Whether that's a free agency for a quarterback, whether it's through the draft, or whether it's through a trade, you can set yourself up and be an attractive spot in 2023 because I don't think the, the Steelers are that right now. Too many holes. Address those holes. Run Mason Rudolph out there. Lose games. I don't want to say tank, but play your hearts out, but just have the quarterback hold you back. And in 2023, take a massive swing. A swing for the fences, a home run swing in order to get your guy. That's what I would do if I was the Steelers. I would go all in on 2023. I would punt on 2022, run Mason Rudolph out there, lose games, but get a better all-line, get a, you know, get get a shore up some holes on the defense and go all in and take one year as a reset, as a retool, and then take that going forward in 2023 and beyond. So that's why I think Mason Rudolph is by far the best option. Don't go for Derek Carr or Jimmy G or Kirk Cousins. Don't go in the draft. I don't think any of these quarterbacks personally are worth first-round picks or franchise quarterbacks. I would stick with Mason Rudolph, lose, and then from there in 2023, take off. So that'll do for this edition of the Ryan Hickey Show. I apologize we got to cut it a little bit early. But we will be back on Thursday, same time, same place. 
So we'll get a lot going in. We'll see what happens now with Kyler Murray and his future will continue to monitor that situation. So we got a lot to get going. Or I'm sorry, actually, I'm sorry. I totally forgot. My schedule unfortunately changed. I do have a, uh, a big uh, industry summit, if you will, happening on Thursday. So we will not be back on Thursday. My apologies here. I almost ran out and lied to the audience. Hate doing that. We will be back on next Monday, a week from today. So I'm sure a lot will go down between now and then. So between now and next Monday, as always, stay safe, please. Stay sane. We'll talk to you on Monday right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio.